And we are back after taking a bit of a breather last week. Welcome to another edition of What Barry's Talking About. From Barry 360, I'm Dan Blakely. On this week's program, the Simcoe County Rovers are generating a lot of excitement for soccer fans in the Barry area. Both the men's and the women's teams enjoying great success in last year's first season and kicking it again this season. We go behind the scenes with the coaches. A local early childhood educator has put together a book designed to get kids out of the structured environment we've crammed them into and bring out their imagination and creativity. Theatre by the Bay is brought back at Simcoe County Theatre Festival featuring six new productions written, directed, and performed by local artists. And we meet a young Angus girl who's put the health needs of other kids ahead of her own special needs. You won't believe how much money she's raised through lemonade stands. But first, it's been two years since an EF2 tornado ravaged neighborhoods in South Barry, carving a path five kilometers long, 100 meters wide, and packing a 210-kilometer-an-hour wind. The damage was catastrophic. 71 homes were left uninhabitable. Some had to be demolished and rebuilt. Luckily, no one was killed. Researchers from York University have been talking with residents and business people about how the twister affected them, what assistance they've received, what steps they've taken since to keep their families and business Business is safe. Barry 360's Ian McLennan spoke with Jennifer Spinney, an associate professor in the Disaster and Emergency Management Program at York, about the work they're doing. This project is called the Barry Tornado Recovery Project. Uh, when was it launched and why was it launched? The project was launched in um, late March, is when we were able to get started. We um, had an initial recruitment where we placed door hangers in the damage path. And we're recruiting residents who experience structural impacts to have a one-on-one conversation with either myself or uh, the two members that I have working on the research team with me. Um, We have since um, pursued a second recruitment, this time to have people uh, participate in a survey. We had such a low response rate to our request conversations that uh, we thought maybe it was helpful to connect with folks in a different way. Maybe they would be more willing to talk with us if if they just could go online, for example. Um, So that was launched just last Thursday or Friday, really. So um, why why is this communication critical? What are you hoping to learn? Yes, so we launched the project to examine the various ways that people in Barrie experience recovery from the tornado disaster. We're trying to understand where people are at in their recovery journeys and the different factors that influenced recovery. Um, One of the reasons why we're focusing on recovery is because we know how, how destabilizing these events are. It was referred to by one participant as a life equalizer. They're extremely destabilizing, extremely disorienting. It fundamentally changes people. But it's more than just rebuilding your house. It's more than just putting the four walls and a roof back together. There are so many different aspects of of recovery that are part of uh, that are part of this. And so we're trying to understand all of those different factors. How is it that you have been able to rebuild your life, essentially, your quality of life? How have you been able to emotionally recover from this event? Um, So this was uh, a main motivator. 
Can you take anything away right now that you would already incorporate into your findings, or is more work need to be done before there's a final, you know, the final release that you said in the fall? There are a few things that seem to, um, you know, seem to shine through. Uh, so, for example, what overwhelmingly has come through in the interviews with with residents is how important that coordination of post-impact response was. Um, they're, they're talking a lot about how the, the efforts that were made in those hours and first few days and those first few weeks following the tornado, how helpful that was to, to get people on the right track. Um, we've also uh, learned, of course, a lot about structural restoration, people's interactions with insurance and their interactions with contractors. We've learned uh, a lot about um, the different ways that people were coping. Um, this is, you know, explicit responses to those questions, but also different uh, ways that showed up uh, in interviews, whether it's maintaining a positive outlook or maybe they were um, participating in different athletic um, endeavors in, in a order to sort of manage the impacts. If I can just add a little bit more about sure. emotional impacts, what we've learned is that people experience a timeline in, of these impacts and, and to varying extents, uh, and they often come in waves. So we, we have learned that there's a lot of anxiety, um, a lot of difficulty focusing, a lot of decision fatigue, in those first weeks and months as people are trying to rebuild their lives, to restore their homes, but also to manage these competing responsibilities uh, that, that home reconstruction have now added in, in ways that they never desired or expected. Um, and while some people at this point were approaching the two-year anniversary, while some people feel that they have recovered these are the same people that are still experiencing discomfort, still experiencing certain degrees of anxiety when, let's say, extreme winds start to gust again. Or they hear severe storm warnings and what have you, and that, I guess, it's almost a revisit. Yes, and we didn't hear a lot about warnings that they received in advance of the event. Um, but what we did learn from people is, is how they learned about the Barry tornado was by experiencing changes in their environment, by witnessing, by either seeing, feeling, hearing changes in their environment, not as much with respect to an, an official warning or an alert. However, um, I'm not diminishing that, but when people were interviewed, they, they talked much more deeply about the, the environmental cues that at this point even almost, well, it was about a year and a half since the event when we chatted with people, um, is those environmental cues that were still triggering some discomfort and anxiety. And this, and then, uh, if, go ahead, Jeremy. If I may just add that, one other detail that we've been trying to um, uncover is how people um, might be incorporating what we call resilience into their recovery efforts. 
And so when I say that, I'm trying to understand if and to what extent people might be um, uh, helping to keep themselves safer and to reduce the potential impacts if extreme winds ever come through Barry again. And so we've been focusing mostly on what people might be uh, doing with their homes. Are they adding different types of hurricane straps? Are they um, requesting different shingles? Are they selecting different siding? Is there, are they building a cold room, uh, which is often a tornado safety room? So uh, we've been focusing on those physical features, but what has been coming through in interviews is more about feelings of togetherness and that resilience or reducing harm in this particular, uh, for the, this small group of people, is more about just not having to do it alone, just having people working together and being together um, and, and being there to support each other as a form of resilience, which is really interesting. It's not something that we were expecting. This um, report is in collaboration with the Western University Northern Tornadoes Project. Um, if people who lived through the tornado had a role in uh, recovery efforts or what have you, how can they reach out to you and when will the final report be uh, released? This is a collaboration with the Northern Tornadoes Project. One of their missions is to do whatever they can to help mitigate the harms that people and property experience from severe weather. Um, if people are interested in talking with us, at this point we're focusing mostly on a survey, but we'd be happy to have conversations with people. They just need to reach out to me at my email. Um, it's jspinney at yorku.ca. We also have a project-specific email. It's berrytornadorecovery at gmail.com. Um, also, we've distributed all of those door hangers. So anyone who was in the damage path has a door hanger, which has a QR code and, and all of the same email information I just provided you. They can scan that QR code. They can email us. We'd be happy to talk to people. We really want to make a positive difference. The final report should be released in the fall. We are working on an August 31st deadline for all of this. This is when at least the first draft of the report will be shared with Northern Tornadoes Project and all project participants. Jennifer's email address again is jspinney at yorku.ca. Every now and then you meet someone who you know is going to make a huge difference in the world. Eight-year-old Riley Edwards McGuire of Angus is one of them. Riley has a blood disorder that means she has to make frequent trips to sick kids' hospital for treatment. It's not fun, but it could be worse. Riley has seen that in other patients at the hospital. So for the past few years, she's held a lemonade stand to raise funds to help them out. 107.5 Cool FM Afternoon host Amy Oust gave her a call. Hello. Hi, Riley. Hello. Hi, my name is Amy, and I am from Cool FM, and I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about your lemonade stand that you've been having. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, why you are holding these lemonade stands? I do it because whenever I go to sit kids, they help me a lot, and I'm always really scared, but I see them um, helping other students or kids, um, and I always want to help them because they're always hurt more than me. I do, 
And there's always some that, like, have, whenever we enter, there's always some that I see that, like, have big things that connect to their arm that they have to walk around with. And some have to stay there for days. And sometimes I want to just bring them toys to make them feel happy. So I do it every year because I've done it since I was five. And I like doing it because I like giving back to them. I've raised a lot of money, $1,600 in total. I've raised $2,500 $2, in total. And I do it every year because, yeah, I like helping sick kids. And I also do it because it's fun and it makes me feel happy. Riley, it sounds like you have an awfully uh, generous spirit and a big heart. And can you tell us a little bit about why you do have to visit sick kids sometimes? Yeah. I have to visit sick kids sometimes because um, I have vulnerable advanced disease type 2, which means my blood clots differently than other people and it isn't normal. <laughs> and um, so if I like bang my head really bad or I get into a car accident or any of that stuff, I need to go straight to sick kids, no other place. Well, that sounds like it could be pretty scary, but thank goodness for sick kids and they take such great care of you, right? Yeah. Riley, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you. Riley raised another $2,100 last weekend, adding to the $2,500 she's raised over the previous three years. What Barry's talking about is a weekly podcast featuring the best Barry and Simcoe County have to offer and more. We've covered a lot of ground since we began last summer, learned about electric cars, the good and the bad, and spoke with actor Jenna Shaw about filming a movie in an actual haunted house. You can get caught up and make it easy to keep up in the future by subscribing to What Barry's Talking About through any podcast streaming service. The Simcoe County Theatre Festival has returned to Barrie thanks to the efforts of Theatre by the Bay. Six productions written, directed, and performed by local artists, a play for every taste, including stoner comedy, dramas, and even an opera. Our Ian McLennan learns more from indie producers Annie Newton and Lynette Randall. How did this festival get started? What was the trigger? It's really um, Theatre by the Bay and the mandate they have towards community building and producing uh, plays that are from artists in the community and allowing for a space for artists in the community to share their work, their writing, and really their artistry because there are so many amazing artists in this community and, and they need a space in order for their talent to be shown. And it does display, as you said, um, there is so much creativity in our region and this is a chance for it to be to be showcased. Exactly. And what are some of the um, what are some of the plays that um, are going to be performed? And uh, I've, some that stood out there, I, dramas, stoner comedy. It, it runs the gamut, right? Oh yeah, it, there is something for everybody. Um, uh, there's drama, there's comedy, there's even an opera this year, and uh, there's six of them, as you as you may know, and um, and it's going to be a buffet for people to partake from. And we talk about it. How how are these plays selected, or um, in terms of you know, you know how they come about in terms of what will be performed in July? How does this you know how are they chosen? Well, writers 
create the play and it does go through a form of dramaturgy which is just sort of unpacking the play focusing on what it's about they are all asked however to be under 50 minutes so of course that can be a challenge for any writer so the journey of being able to bring a play down to be quite concise to fit in that timing is a big procedure that kind of puts the play through fire to make it emerge as gold. Are there any specific categories per se that you're, that you would be looking for, or is it, uh, you know, the, everything's on the table and then certain plays are selected? The focus is really plays from artists in Simcoe County. So it's open to whatever, whatever genre people want to explore. And then there is a selection process that happens. So people will submit their plays to Theatre by the Bay and then they will go undergo a, a selection process to, to see which ones are the best um, for the festival and also how we can curate um, a festival that has as many different genres of, uh, of, of things for people in the community to see. And Theatre by the Bay will also be hosting um, acting workshops and, and, and staged readings. Uh, tell us a, a, b- a bit about that and you know what it's about. Yeah, um, so it's really exciting this year. We were offering two workshops. Um, one of them is a theatre a theater workshop that uses animal movement um, to a- aid with character development. And the other is an audition workshop. And we're also really excited to offer a staged reading of two plays, two new plays as well. And what sort of, um, maybe you could explain uh, the staged readings, for example, for people who aren't familiar, but it might tweak their interest. What What is a staged reading? So a staged reading is a play that has already been um, written down. And uh, the best way a play goes through a process is to be heard, right? There was a time people went to the theater to hear a play. And so it provides an opportunity for people to hear the play being read, for actors to begin to encounter the characters. And it's a really good tool for the writer to be able to hear where the play is at, what is working, what the audience is responding to. And with that, they can go on to the next draft and know how to clean up the play. And the good thing about these staged readings that are happening is they're going to be in association with the Barry Library. So it allows us another chance and opportunity to bring in a key part of our community, which is the work of the library. A lot of focus always is on Toronto and the big stage productions, but this is another example of uh, what we see in other communities like Blythe and what have you, good homegrown talent and um, important for the public get out there and and you know see and see what it's about what's on stage exactly I always say that um, storytelling is a universal language and um, before these stages became as big as they were in Toronto they started small and we're telling stories in our communities in our homes and um, Barry is one of those places that is bringing people together from across the county because people are telling stories across this county. And I think it's great that it can be celebrated and that it has a home. I think that's the biggest thing. It's having a home that people can come together and share their story. Performances are at the Five Points Theatre downtown until July 23rd. Ticket information and more at theaterbythebay.com.
There's no disputing the popularity of soccer in Barrie and Simcoe County. Witness the crowds that turn out for the Simcoe County Rovers men's and women's games at Massey Field at Georgian College. Both teams made a huge statement in their inaugural seasons last year and are making waves on the pitch again this year. Barrie 360's Will Conkin sat down to talk some footy with women's coach Dave Kelly and men's coach Jason Beckford. So just kind of to start, what does a, what does a practice day and kind of a game day look like for a Rovers head coach? Um, well, we we train in the mornings, and we've we've managed to the, the the players that we recruited, we've managed to try to get them in an environment where it's suited to a professional environment. So, uh, lots of our players have because of their work conditions have been able to train in the mornings. So if they do train in the mornings, it gives them the opportunity to do some work in the evenings as well, because you know quite a few of them you know go and do some coaching at clubs, etc. So that gives them that opportunity to earn some you know some extra money. So um, we 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 train in the mornings. Um, we probably have the players there for about nine thirty for a 10, 10 o'clock start. Coaches we're there from uh, we're probably there from nine o'clock setting up. Um, we have one day we'll do a film session. Um, a week where we'll just uh, do, take some clips from some of the games that we've played. Uh, sorry, I say some of the clips that the previous game we've played. So some positives, some negatives from that, and then also about you know who we're going to play for the week. So then the week is then planned, gear up to the opposition and uh, how we're going to set up against them. Um, and then from there, it's always there's always consultation afterwards with this with the coaching staff about how the session went, um, what we're looking at for the weekend. Uh, usually Mondays is our day for a staff meeting, which plans the the whole week. So we train Tuesday to Friday, um, and then train, well, obviously play on a Saturday or a Sunday. So that tends to be uh, that's what our training week looks like. Yeah, ours is different actually. Uh, we have uh, players just across the spectrum, whether playing uh, at university in Ontario or in in the US, but we also have players in career jobs too. So we've got. Uh, one of our players, um, Abby Rowe, is, uh, she's a nurse, a full-time nurse out um, up in North Bay. So, and we also have an, one of our other players is a, a full-time police officer. So we actually train in, in the evening. So we train uh, like 9, 9 p.m. till 10.30. So we kind of meet about 8.30, get everything set up. Uh, we'll train Tuesday, Wednesdays and Fridays. So ours does look a little bit differently. And because of the geographic spread of our squad, we're, we're a little bit uh, more online as well. So... We'll do our, uh, our game analysis on, online via uh, in Zoom or whatever. Um, and one of our coaches puts together like a, a document, an analysis document on the opposition and clips. And then they meet online and discuss it. And then that also sets and impacts how we train and what we're looking to do for the, uh, the upcoming game. How do you kind of like balance this? You want your players to do well and get called up to other like do higher level and develop well, but then you also, if they're playing well, you want to keep them to help your club play. How do you kind of balance that, or what is your perspective on that? To be honest, it's pretty easy. You know, it's it's. I think um, obviously in the stage of you know my career where I am, it doesn't it doesn't really bother me. You know, I think I I'm quite clear about what it is that I'm supposed to do and. I'm just trying to prepare these guys for, you know, professional football, and um, open their eyes to it. And I think some some of them are a little shocked at first, and they, oh, is this what it is? And it's yeah, but and and more, you know, in terms of that demand and expectation, it's every day. That's relentless, um, and 
uh, I think what you know, there's nothing pleases me more than somebody going on to a higher level. You know, last year we had a couple of players went and played in the C- playing in the CPL, which is great for our first year. Obviously, last year was our inaugural season, so uh, we've had two players go to professional level. Uh, this season, hopefully, we'll you know we'll get the same, if not more, to go there because I think what it does do, all it does, it's um, it's it's a good look on the club, isn't it? And uh, pe- that in itself will attract players, not only, you know, only to um, you know the men's program and hopefully to the women's program as well. I'd, I'd say this uh, again, similar on the women's side. Uh, we've got uh, quite a few international players as well. So we've got uh, Yasmin J- Jamieson, our, our goalkeeper. Uh, you know, she's been to the past couple of World Cups for, for Jamaica. Uh, we've got uh, Chloe Odenberg and Carly Odenberg and uh, Kayla Odenberg, three sisters. They all play for St. Kitts and Nevis. Uh, Brianne Dessa, otherwise known as Buckets, plays for Guyana. And quite proud as well, just had the call up for Samaya Buak to the Algerian women's national team as well. So like, they will move on to the national level, but also a, a big goal of, the, of those players as well is to go professional. And we want to, again, we want to help them succeed with that and I think what Jason said there is quite accurate. It only reflects good on the club. So, yeah, as much as it might be a little annoying for the planning on the planning side of it, uh, we lose Samaya for the next four games, but we obviously see a bigger picture here and, you know, we really want to elevate them. And then once we've done that, that obviously then attracts new players to the club and also gives opportunity for our affiliates. So we've got many players coming through from from Barry, for instance. Uh, You know, the, the team mainly was made up from players from Aurora, another one of our affiliates, and We've had a couple of players come out to training from AI as well. So, again, it gives opportunities when people do move on. Yeah, it's pretty incredible that, that this club, or it, like in its infancy, has already made its mark. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we, we've, had, we've had a lot, you know, a lot of support, you know, from not only from the, you know, the local fans, which has been great for us and local, you know, even, you know, today, you know, local radio stations has put us on the map, if you like. And we've been, man- we've been managed to be able to, kind of uh, mirror that on the field as well which is always important the product on the field that we've, we've put out there has been good on the the men and the women's side so hopefully that can continue the support surprised me uh, in, in the opening game uh, last year I came to JC Massey Field and as, a, as an away coach and, and saw what they did on the game day operations which was was really cool uh, the start of this year it was uh, the women's game the home opener it was really cold it was wet windy uh, the game was actually showed on live on Rogers TV on local TV too, so I didn't really expect anybody to come out. And then, you know, come the time of the national anthem, I look across, and not only was the, the bleachers filled with people, but also filled with people wearing Simcoe's hats, scarves, and stuff like that. So, you know, that's been really, really impressive to be honest. Uh, it's a- extra motivating, and uh, Jason and I'm talking about. We've got a, a small hardcore following who come away with us. As well, yeah. special mention yeah. to them who just sing yeah. no matter where they are for, yeah. for 90 minutes. Uh, even yeah. if there's three or four of them, they'll still do it. So yeah. no matter where we go, they follow us, don't yeah, they? Yeah. So, no, really. Yeah, yeah. it is special. Back half of the schedules now kind of uh, coming. And um, how do you uh, how do you start or do you start um, ramping up the work or do you start fine tuning things? Is it a mixture mm-hmm. of both as the playoffs kind of approach? Yeah, I think it's a mixture of both. I mean, we obviously we've got um, you know the second half of the season now, and as you say, ramping up to hopefully getting into the playoffs, um, and hopefully getting into the playoffs in in a good spot where we you know we've got some home advantage. Um, it just so happens that our second half of the season, we're actually playing um, five of the top six, uh, you know, at the moment. So 
it's kind of like it's, it's a five, six pointers we've got to be playing, if you like, where you can take points off each other, you know what I mean? So it's pretty tight up there, like it was last year, in fairness. It, you know, it was tight. Um, but again, um, you know, we, we go into it in with, with good heart and good confidence. We're, you know, when they're on a decent run as well. And as I said before, I'm, I'm happy where the group are mentally, um, as well as physically and tactically as well. But mentally, we're in, we're in a good spot at the moment. So, again, just just looking forward to that second half of the season and hopefully, you know, getting to those playoffs and hopefully going one better than last year. Mm-hmm. Ours was the exact opposite, wasn't it? Uh, we had the opening game, which was great, against Guelph, but then we played the last year's playoff winners, the National Development Centre for Ontario. Then we played last year's league winners in Vaughan. And then we played last year's playoff runners-up in Alliance. So that was uh, a baptism of fire with a, a new mm. team. Um, and then kind of like the, the running now, for, if, if you will, for us, apart from Electric City, who were, were vying for a playoff spot for, is, is teams now in the b- bottom half of the table. So for us, our target was being and around the playoff positions, which we are. Uh, and obviously now we want to build off that and, and make sure that we finish in that, those playoff positions. Out. It's a great day. It's a great day, and you either get lots of goals, or if you're uh, watching Jason's team, we guarantee the last minute winner. They'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll put you, they'll put you through the ringer, but they'll, they'll come good in the last minute or two. That's happened four or five times. Yeah. The women like to try and get the game one early. So. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks again, guys. Thank you. Appreciate the Rovers men are on the road Saturday at the Ontario Soccer Centre in Woodbridge. It's a 6 o'clock start against Grosopi FC. The women host St. Catharines at 6.30 Sunday at Massey Field. Ticket information at roversfc.ca. Ever feel like life is too structured? Time to do this, time to do that, have to do it this way or not at all? We've pushed our kids in that direction with scheduled activities. St. John Paul II teacher Angela Odesanya trying to bring them back the other way, unleashing their imaginations and creative juices with her book, Amelia's Loose Part Art. Here again is Barry 360's Ian McLennan. What was the trigger to venture into the world of being a, to being a writer? How long have you had that ambition? Uh, I have wanted to write this particular book for about five years. I have wanted to write a children's book much longer than that. Um, but this book was about uh, five years and it stemmed from what I've been doing in my work in the classroom and what I've been seeing with children in my classroom. And it's called Amelia's Loose Part Art. Explain the, 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 maybe the meaning behind the title. Sure. So um, Amelia is the the main character and loose part art is just a way of creating art using found objects. And yeah, so that's loose part. So in other words, it's letting kids just be creative and come up with their own ideas if they're given an object and what they want to make out what they want to make of it. Yeah. So loose parts are basically any items um, that are provided to children to use in their own creative ways. So it could be rocks or buttons or sticks, pieces of fabric, um, anything that doesn't tell children exactly what to do with them. That's the key. So they might turn rocks into uh, soup in the home center when they're when they're playing in the dramatic center, or they might use buttons to um, create a flower um, design. So, and do you do that in the classroom yourself, where is it you give the students maybe the same sort of object, but you come up with the idea, you make something out of it? I have been doing this part art in my classroom for a long time. So I usually provide them with um, like a blank piece of paper as a bit of a canvas and an assortment of items. And 
they sort of have a chance to be creative. Sometimes in the winter, we might give them a provocation of like, can you make a snowflake? But then how they do it and structure it still becomes um, based on their own ideas. Why is it so important for young for young children to be able to do that or given that op- opportunity to do that in a world you indicate that is so overly structured right now and your mission is to ensure kids have ample opportunity for unstructured play? You get to learn so much about a child when they're engaged in that. So if we were learning patterning or symmetry or um, one-to-one correspondence or any of these skills in the class, I will be able to tell how much they've grasped from that by what they do on their own. So without me prompting them to make a pattern, do they? Or um, is there snowflake? Does it turn out symmetrical? So I can see a lot of of their understanding when they are engaged in this. Um, And also if they're doing their own art piece, often they'll tell me about it. And so as they're telling me, they're doing pre-storytelling. They're, they're, they go into this whole world from this one creation. And if as, if as they're telling me something doesn't make sense, they edit it. Okay. So they change. So loose parts is it makes editing easy. And all of that trend transfers later when they're writing. Now, you talk about uh, structure play. It reminded me of a uh, comedian, George Carlin, who talks about uh, play dates and that now playing is done by appointment. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. I think we are overly filling our um, children's time. We don't want them to be bored. Um, So yeah, sometimes we are making sure every minute is accounted for and that includes includes playdates. Even playing outside seems to be by appointment. It's soccer practice or, or baseball, which has its place. But if it's becoming a daily thing and they're never getting downtime to experience boredom, they're missing out on developing creativity. Well, maybe Carlin was ahead of his time, but he said kids don't even know how to play with a stick anymore. And he said, what's wrong with the kid looking out a window, looking at the clouds and creating their own image, what, what they see. And then you said that's uh, what Amelia does too. Yeah, Amelia, one of her uh, one of her inspirations as she's driving to her grandmother's house um, is noticing the clouds and taking a picture of them and wanting to create art from, from what she sees. And it's just a reminder to kids to that... Art's all around you. Inspiration's all around you. So you need to look for it and see what speaks to you. What, is, what draws your attention? Where do you see beauty? When will this book be available for purchase? And uh, if you could add too, please, uh, there's a charity component to the purchase of these books too, right? Yeah. So we've launched um, a Kickstarter campaign as a way of funding the cost of printing this book. And as part of that, I wanted to build in um, a way to donate because not everyone is in a position where they need a children's book, but perhaps they want to back this mission. Um, So I'm offering a chance for you to donate a copy of the book, and I'm going to collect those copies and donate them to some local hospitals, RVH, Southlake, SickKids, who will be able to give them to children for birthday gifts or or at Christmas if they're stuck in the hospital uh, doing their treatments. Also, there's a charity in Toronto that uh, I like, which is called the Children's Book Bank, and they give books to underprivileged children to keep. And they state that um, when children own a book, they're more likely to finish school. So I think it's important that we support that. And again, the books are available how? Uh, on Kickstarter. So it's www.ameliasbooks.com. That's how you'll find the page. We already received the Projects We Love badge from Kickstarter, which means that they really like what we're doing. And we're at almost 80% of our goal already. 
And your target is? Uh, uh, 5,500. Um, although that's a bare minimum goal because um, it's all or nothing on Kickstarter. So we didn't want to set the goal too high. But obviously, the more we can get, the more we can do with this book. Great. Thank you very much. Thanks. And that's our program for this week. Thanks to Ian and Will for their input and to you for listening. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to What Barry's Talking About, rate it, review it. You can also keep up with What Barry's Talking About on Facebook and Twitter at Barry360, on our website, Barry360.com, and on our daily Kickstart podcast available from any streaming service and on our website. I'm Dan Blakely. Hope you'll join us again next week.